And it's in the movement, I think, that the motivation comes, that the ideas come, the muse, whether you're a writer or, or whatever you're doing in life, your guidance shows up and goes, oh, she's taking this seriously. Now we can give her the good stuff. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Journey to Launch is supported by First Republic Bank. Have you ever experienced a relationship with a banker who was available to answer all your questions, even by phone or email? Doesn't exist, you say? It does at First Republic. At First Republic, everyone gets a personal banker who's ready to sit down and answer your questions, no matter how complex. As someone who talks about money for a living, even I still get confused or have questions about my money. No question is too small or complicated. I know I can call up my personal banker, Linda, who is dedicated to helping me make the right decision. You deserve that too. And did you know that First Republic's commitment to extraordinary service extends beyond its clients? First Republic is committed to strengthening the communities it serves through meaningful partnerships with innovative nonprofit organizations. To learn more, visit firstrepublic.com. That's firstrepublic.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Exciting news. We are giving away a copy of today's guest book. So if you want your chance to win a copy, go to journeytolaunch.com slash win for more details. Also make sure you're following me at Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to get the details. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Hey, journeyers. I'm excited as I always am because today's guest, I feel like this is going to be a more selfish conversation for me, Linda. Um, <laughs> but I know that whenever I do things like this, my audience tends to also benefit a lot because we're going to be talking about creativity and writing and making money as a creative and all the things. And so today's guest is Linda Sievertson, who I've been listening to. So a lot of people say, oh, I listen to your podcast, but Linda's actually a podcast that I now listen to because I've been immersed in the writing world, thanks to me writing my first book this year. And Linda, I found you, um, I think, randomly by searching in Apple Podcasts about writing books and I was really interested in finding shows that could speak to the creative process. And you have such a good show. So Linda's show is called The Beautiful Writers Podcast. And her book, which we'll be talking about, is also called Beautiful Writers. But on the podcast, she always has these amazing writers and guests who come together to share like all parts of the writing industry, from publishing to the creativity process. 
And I was really just elated when we connected online on Instagram at that. And you said you wanted to be on the show. Linda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jamila. I love your show. I love your show. I love learning about money. I've always loved learning about money. And I was super excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Well, since I'm reading your book and I have a little bit a bit of insight in your background, I do want to go back in history a bit because you're successful in this writing field now, but it wasn't always like that. And I love how you frame in the book that you weren't willing to like, give up on the, like, the coffee and the things you loved while you were going through this process, at, like finding yourself and be, establishing yourself as a writer. So can you take us back to a bit like you starting your career and what that looked like? Sure. With me, it wasn't coffee. It was organic orange juice. So I was just obsessed with health food. And so health food is expensive, especially when you eat a lot of it. I'm a high octane person. I could eat $30 of oranges in a day. You know, when I had the dream to become a writer, it was a lifelong dream, but I actually had a literal dream. As I was growing up, I never felt smart enough. So I just didn't think I could pull it off. I was from a family of super geniuses. My sister and my mother have photographic memories. I mean, the whole nine. And I was like the fun athletic girl, kind of into woo-woo stuff. I just, people didn't take me seriously as an intellectual creature. And so it wasn't until I was a professional dog walker in Beverly Hills in Hollywood. And I'm walking, you know, 10 to 15 dogs a day, sweating in the summers and freezing in the winters. And I loved it so much that I had a dream. And in the dream, I saw six books that I was supposed to write titles, formats, structure, topics, the whole, I mean, it was really, really specific. And that gave me so much courage. The thing that saved me because I was married to an actor who was, you know, he worked, but he, not a lot. He wasn't a star. And here I am a dog walker. The thing that saved me was that I was so in love with the dream. I was so in love with the vision. I was so in love with the practice of learning to write and putting words together and sentences together that I was willing to live actually very simply. So we had, at one point, we had free rent in multiple guest houses. In one house, I was the maid and my husband did carpentry work. In another house, we were the dog sitters for, you know, in one of the stories, we were uh, celebrity pet sitters for a guy who was going to rehab for six weeks and lived in his mansion for a couple of years. So I was just, you know, in love with the creative process, which allowed me to be flexible. I love how this love uh, that you had it came through so vividly in a dream. And you did say this, I actually had this in one of my notes for you about your friends in one part, like of the story were said to you, like, we're concerned, like you're not using your brain, like you're, you're, you're dog walking and doing this other, other stuff. And I think you just felt like they were trying to make you feel guilty, maybe not on purpose, but about what you were doing, but you felt like you, you were living a dream because you were walking dogs. Like you loved animals. Exactly. But there was still something else for you to do, right? Like, I, I still feel like maybe, and you can clarify and help me with the timeline, but it still felt like even though you were enjoying walking dogs and doing that part of your life, you still weren't pursuing writing. Yeah, it was. there was a nagging voice in my head after my sister said, you know, my friends and I are worried about you. You're so smart, but you're not using your brain. My ego was hurt at first because here I am, I'm walking Kirk Douglas's dogs and Kiefer Sutherland's dogs and Catherine Oxenberg. I'm in the most beautiful homes in America. 
and I've got the keys and alarm codes. What do you mean you're worried about me? I've just created an amazing business for a girl who doesn't believe she's very smart. Like I was proud of myself. But her words really weighed on me because my whole life I had wanted to be a writer. So it just, uh, it just nagged at me. And so even though I still love the dogs and I still love the job and I was getting paid to exercise in beauty, it was just bothering me. Like, am I wasting my brain? Is there something else I'm supposed to be doing? So I was actively asking that question. So then I have to ask, how do you know? And this is what I have. Like, how do you know when you're settling or not? Or when it is the right time to leave one dream and go to the next dream? That's a great question. And I, I get kind of excited hearing it because first of all, nobody's asked me that, but here's the beauty of what happened. I was so in love with dog walking and my dog clients and the people behind those dogs that I never had an ulterior motive. There was no master plan. There was no like, I'm going to do this, get to know these people really well and write a book about them. Like, no way. I was just in joy and in the present moment. There was no scheming. There was no planning. There actually wasn't even any dreaming. It was just, I was living a dream. So then when my sister said what she said, and I had a couple of other prophecy things that, you know, I write about in the book with people who told me things like Guru Singh and and a Vedic astrologer who predicted my writing career. When those things happened, I think it kind of coalesced into that literal dream because I was open-minded. People had been planting seeds. So, right, I wake up, it's three in the morning, I see these six books I'm supposed to write. Now I'm on fire because I had inklings that something was coming. And now it's connected to my lifelong dream, which is to write. But I think the key is to be doing what you love. And even if you're in a job that's a quote unquote job, I mean, I was picking up literal I was an animal excrement engineer for a living. I'm picking up hundreds of poops a week. So even if you're doing that, love it, love whatever you can about it. Be grateful for everything that's happening. And then magic starts to happen. And I think that's What I tried to do with the book, Beautiful Writers, was to not only tell all the different magical things that happened to me accidentally or on purpose because of my bigger than life thinking or because of my nose to the grindstone work ethic or what have you, but all of the people that I interviewed, all these big bestselling authors, they have so many magical stories too. And I just wanted to remind us all that we're magic and to trust your intuition and where it leads you. Yeah. And especially when I talk about financial independence or freedom on the podcast and ultimately what people want is a life. They want time and energy freedom to be able to pursue, right? Whatever it is within inside of them. And that looks different for everyone, right? And yes, there are steps, like there are practical things that you should do to get there, spend less, invest, make these smart money decisions. But so much of it, I believe, is intangible. Like some, so much of it is it's like you can't wrap it up and give it a step-by-step process, right? Like it's almost just like you have to trust the person or trust yourself to be able to see things that other people don't see and go after things that you can't explain. And that's the kind of stuff I really like talking about because I feel like it's that intangible luck, faith, belief in God or a system bigger than that you can like do one plus one equals two. It's like bigger than that. And I think what you're talking about, how you started to see the steps for yourself and get confirmation that you were going on the right path is what I I want 
people to unlock, no matter where they are listening, for their own journey? Because maybe it's not being a writer. Maybe it's being a dancer or um, composing music. Maybe it is something with entrepreneurship. But it's it's like they may feel stuck or in place. And there are things that want to show them the way, but they have to access that and trust that first. Yeah, that's beautifully said. I think that as we make steps toward our goal, we will get breadcrumbs along the way to show us if we're going in the right direction. And and it's okay to go the wrong direction. I always tell my clients, just decide. You might have 50 book titles, just pick one. You know, you can always change your mind later. And it's in the movement, I think, that the motivation comes, that the ideas come, the muse, whether you're a writer or, or whatever you're doing in life, your guidance shows up and goes, oh, she's taking this seriously. Now we can give her the good stuff. Right. One of the things you also mentioned is about having good questions, like reflective inquiry, so we can access creativity. So I feel like when I talk to anyone, right, they talk about when they were a child, they were so creative. You know, I was I wrote and read so much more as a child versus now. <laughs> and how do people get back to that? Like get back to the creative within themselves. I think those questions, asking yourself those questions. I mean, it wasn't until my sister said, I think you're wasting your brain that I started asking the questions. Well, what does that look like? And what could I be doing? And what do I love? What makes me happy? What lights me up? I mean, I'm a naturally high serotonin person, so I'm very blessed that way. But the challenge of being high serotonin and high dopamine is that you can kind of do anything and be happy. I can live anywhere and be happy. I mean, you know, anywhere is is um, arguable. But when you're happy, I think sometimes you have to really, really dig deeper because you can stay way too long in a situation that isn't working for you ultimately or, or isn't your best option. When you look back at your career, especially when you were starting, what other questions did you ask yourself? Or how did you see opportunities where other people wouldn't have that helped you get further? Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. I think that the dream gave me a lot of courage. I think I'm a high confidence person and a very insecure person at the same time. So the insecure part of me was like, but I didn't get my college degree. I quit early. I'm not smart enough. Those bullies from high school thought I was an airhead and made fun of me for my low SAT scores. There was that really scared, insecure part. But then the other part of me, the shoot for the moon, over the top, Leo, kind of like, I'm living in Hollywood and I'm walking dogs for celebrities. I can do whatever I want. Like, what do I want? just caused me to continually ask myself those questions. And then I think when you're in that inquiry, when things show up that are the answer to those questions, like really ask and you shall receive, you're going to get those answers. When those things show up, because you've been asking and you're paying attention, you can see them. You can take advantage of those opportunities. When the Academy Award-winning songwriter calls the pet store I'm working at and says, I need a place to board my Huskies. Do you know of a, a good place? I'm like, hey, by the way, I'm a dog walker and I love Huskies. He's like, how soon can you be here? And I was there in two hours. And then I lived in his mansion for years because I was paying attention to what I wanted. I was hustling. 
the more that we ask ourselves what we want, when things start to show up, we know how to take take that leap. Mm-hmm. And you said something and I can relate to it well, is that the insecurity coupled with the like high confidence, that's totally me too. Uh, and the people who let the insecurity win in a way that stops them from moving forward, I want to, maybe we could give some tips on overcoming that or despite those voices doing things anyway, because what I find is actually a lot of more people that are successful are actually really insecure yeah, yeah. or have doubts, but they're still doing it. So why can't you, if you're like listening? <laughs> yeah, you just do it anyway. I think I was very good at being disciplined with myself in the areas where I knew I, w- I could go off the rails. So one of the things was I have less confidence when I feel like crap. So I don't allow myself to feel like crap for very long. So if I'm going to have like a junk food day, it's one day. It's like James Clear, he talks about, you know, don't do two days in a row. I do not. As a rule, I take really, really good care of myself. I exercise every day and it might only be 10 minutes. It might just be a, a dog walk down my neighborhood, but I move my body in the morning. I write down my goals for the day. So I'm not like haphazard all over the place. I eat really clean. I don't eat a lot of processed foods and I never have. So I just feel good every day. And so that's a, that's a big difference because you take somebody who's insecure and makes them feel like crap. They're going to hide in their house or they're going to put themselves out there, but with a whole lot of mixed messages and you know, whatever you put out comes back. So if you're putting yourself out there with mixed messages, the universe is going to give you a lot of mixed results. I didn't want mixed results. I wanted to kick ass with my very short life. My parents were dead early. My mom was dead at 59. My dad was dead at 67. I helped both of them as they were sick. And man, I'm, I want to make the most of this one. And it goes to show you that the physical things we want right? Like the results. It's things that seem tangential. It's like what we're putting in our body. It's like, do we have the energy to see the opportunity and say yes, if we're called? And that to me is so important and so overlooked, even with the money, right? Like everything about money, whether it's like going in and having the confidence to negotiate your salary or talk to your coworkers, right? Like if not having people that you can connect to at the workplace who then can maybe recommend you for promotions and all those things, like it matters how you show up. And so if you show up not feeling good, which can lead to how you're sleeping, how you're eating, that all matters in the process. No doubt. Linda, can you talk a little bit more about your author journey? So I know you're making a living in multiple ways now, but when you started, you you know, you were writing a book. So can you talk about transitioning and making money with writing in different ways? So when you're first starting out and you don't have any credentials, writing is a total money pit. I mean, just excruciating, or it was for me. So gave up the dog walking business because I've had the dream, right? And I'm going to be on Oprah in six, well, let's make it nine months, right? So I have no clue. I am such a newbie. I don't know how long things take. I don't have any mastery over writing. So it's going to be a long haul for me to get my book sold. I don't know that. I think it's all going to be, you know, miraculously fast. So I quit my dog walking job and we moved out into the middle of nowhere. My ex-husband wanted to live out in the boonies. We found a place on like 350 acres in Northern New Mexico living off the grid. So we're like, dude, let's go. 
So we're living in the middle of nowhere with land that we bought from a shaman. We're doing sweat lodges with the local Pueblo people. I mean, whatever. None of that is high income earning. (laughs) So the book ends up taking years to write. And I don't know about book proposals at the time. I now that's part a big part of my business is helping people rock their book proposals, but I didn't even know what one was. So I write a 400 page manuscript and send it off to an agent, which is not the norm. You're supposed to send one page query letter to agents. And if they want to see it, then you send them a proposal and some sample chapters. I did it totally back asswards. I send the 400 pages to a New York agent who actually loved it, signed me. And then he's like, oh, so you got to write a little book proposal. So then I got to take another year to figure out what the hell that is, study the best book proposals I could find, write a book proposal, watch it get rejected over and over until I kept revising it, revising, finally got it sold. So meanwhile, I'm making $0 (laughs) for years. And then the first book only sells for $5,000, which doesn't even cover the postage that I sent to the celebrities I was trying to, you know, interview all those years. I mean, it might've covered that, but no, not much, certainly no trips to LA. So I was one of those writers who was totally dependent on my husband's income at the time, which was not a huge amount of money. We lived off the grid. We had very simple, I think our monthly net was $2,000, which sometimes we barely made, but you know, he made it. Then when the book sold, I had a choice. It was like, okay, am I going to to do this little dog and pony show? Am I going to speak on any stage that will have me? Because this was really pre-internet. This was 1998. So the internet was there, but not like this. When somebody said to me, Linda, you're at the top of Amazon, I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't even know what Amazon was. So there was no podcast with Jamila where you and I could have this conversation. So my choice was like, I I had seen many best-selling authors through hearing their stories. I could sell books out of the back of my car and do start the small little speaking gigs and build those up and then start getting bigger speaking fees and then sell books at those speaking events. And that was kind of how everybody did it. Start teaching workshops and yada, yada. So I looked at that and I thought, okay, I have a a five-year-old kid. So I think maybe he was nine by that time. I have a kid who needs me. I have a husband who's got an acting income, which is up and down and a lot of times down. Is that legit? Like, can I pull that off? And I knew I didn't have it in me. I had four dogs, two cats. I didn't have it in me. So I hung out my shingle. Hey, I can edit your books. And I was slammed from day one. My first book proposal was with Rhonda Britton. We co-authored it, sold for six figures in a bidding war in New York. She told everybody it was, you know, because of Linda. And that happened over and over again. I think like my third or fourth book proposal sold for a million dollars at auction. And so I just became like the hired girl forever and ever. And I started ghostwriting books for best-selling authors and started hitting the New York Times list with books that I had put my, you know, my time and energy into. And it wasn't until years and years and years later that I went back to my own writing, but it, it was a long process. You talking about your love for writing and then having to make this decision, kind of do I do I continue? Do I, am I the star? If we, we say that like, if I'm the star and I write my own books, perhaps I will still get to where I want to be, but it's an uphill climb. It felt like that's what you felt like. 
And then there's this other way where you can help other people write books where it's like, maybe you're not the star. You're like the co-star or behind the scenes, right? Totally behind the scenes, but it was consistent. And I could be a stay-at-home mom, which is what I wanted. And I could be with my dogs and I could be kind of incognito. I'm not a look at me, look at me person. As much as I, I do put myself out there to a degree because you have to in this digital marketing age, but it's not really my inclination. But it's nice to see though, that you are still able to fulfill your writing dreams, but in maybe another way than what you first thought it would look like. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know, you know, I think many authors find themselves in that position. Do you bank on yourself or do you take your talents and give them to other people? And it's not an easy decision. I don't think for anybody. And fortunately, there are so many ways now to do all of it. You know, you, you got to be careful. Like I, there were times where I was ghostwriting two books at a time, one for a man, one for a woman. And that just really wore me down. Like you got to be careful and pace yourself. But it's not unusual. You know, I think most books are ghostwritten. Yeah. Yeah. I'm finding out that <laughs> as I talk to more authors behind the scenes, I'm like, oh, okay, you didn't write that. But <laughs> <laughs> Did you know I broke out the path to financial independence into what I call five journeyer stages? That's right. There are five stages that you have to travel through to reach complete financial independence. When you know your stage, you know what to focus on and how to move on to the next stage. I created a free one minute quiz to help you determine what stage you're in. After you take the quick quiz, you'll know where you are on your financial independence journey. The main thing you should focus on Plus, you'll get a curated list of 10 Journey to Launch podcast episodes to listen to that will help you for your specific stage. Go to journeytolaunch.com slash mystage right now to take the free quiz. That's journeytolaunch.com slash mystage. You're writing behind the scenes and you're helping other people launch their books. Seems like word of mouth is how you got your name out there. Or you started to get a lot of clientele? I think what happened was a couple of the books I wrote for other people, with other people, I should never say wrote them because you don't write by yourself. You're still getting reading their journals and listening to their speeches and brainstorming with them. And they're sometimes editing things back and forth. So it's a definite collaboration. But one of the guys I wrote a book for hit the New York Times list. I said to him, you know, I'd like to teach. I think I'd like to do a workshop, maybe an online workshop, but like the module, six module course, that was all really new. I said, you know, I'm losing my house. My husband's just had an affair. He's bailing. It was 2008 with the market crisis. And I said, I'd like to design a course. If I do, would you be willing to promote it on your list? And he had a 200,000 person list. And at that time, that was major. And he said, sure. And so it took me three months to write the sales page. So I write the sales page. He sends it to his list with the subject header, the secret weapon behind my seven-figure book deal. And he sends it out. And that course, because of his promotion, saved my house. It allowed me to put my kid through college. Now, not the whole tuition, but it got me started. And then I thought, oh, so now I'm teaching an online course. Somebody said, now you have to do in-person courses too. 
And they said, charge $5,000. I thought, $5,000? That's highway robbery. Like, how could I ever charge that much money? And they said, use our beautiful house in Breckenridge for free. Charge $5,000 and start your business. And I thought, okay. And they said, you announce it on your first, your second call. So the six call course, I announced this workshop on the second call for $5,000 and five people signed up instantly. So now I had $25,000 I wasn't expecting. And teaching that retreat was so, I felt like the house was floating, felt like I had been reborn. It was the most fun I've ever had in my life. And so now I've done 90 of them. Wow. I do them in Carmel now and online, but I've done 90. So decisions. Decisions, but also like the gall and the confidence to ask for help, right? Like, so this person that you wrote the book for, I mean, there's many things maybe you could have asked for instead of help me launch or promote this business. It could have been like another favor. Sometimes I, I, I think... We may have access to someone or know of someone of someone, but do we ask the right questions that will get us the best yield or your own net bang for our buck? Were you considering something else? How did you have the confidence to ask him that question? How did you know that was the right question? That's a really great point because I always say you have to be so specific in what you ask for because nobody who's successful is sitting around thinking all day long, how can I help Jamelia be super successful? How can I help Linda? But if you go to them with a very, really well thought out question, hey, I'm doing this six module course. Would you be willing to send it to your list? I'll share 50% of the proceeds with you. That is a very specific, easy thing to answer, yes or no. And I've always done that. Like I remember when... Lisa Gibbons had her talk show on NBC, the Lisa Gibbons show. And my book, I was writing the book proposal, struggling to get it sold. I wrote her a a letter and I said, would you be willing to say that if I get a publisher, you will consider doing a show around the book? And she said, that is very specific. I can see how to do this. And yes, she wasn't promising. You know, nobody was going to throw her in promising jail if she didn't follow follow through. But, and she did, she ended up putting me, giving me an hour talk show devoted to my first book. That's incredible. And my wheels are turning about like, I always like to see how I can give people and even myself like practical takeaways, right? To do. And I want to note that you done things with the people that you already asked questions, you know, you're asking favors of, and you're making sure it's a win-win for them too. I was going to say, you always have to show them how it's a win-win for them. So with Lisa, I said, I could bring on this, this, and this celebrity, and they could talk about this, this, and this. Like Catherine Oxenberg had never talked about the incest within the royal family that had totally jacked up her childhood and made her bulimic, but she was willing to talk about it in my book, and she was willing to talk about it on Lisa. So Lisa could then see the ratings. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost just like you... Finding one, and this is what it's like social intelligence and social capital, like building that regardless, right? Like just being a good person in general and giving your gifts to the world and to people, but then creating and keeping those relationships. And then once you have those lines of communication, like you said, sometimes it's just an acquaintance or it's someone you know that you may know. 
it's like, okay, but what is it that you want to accomplish or what are you working on? Like, what's the next step in your life that you're looking to achieve? Is it a new job? Is it writing a book? Is it something else? And then thinking through what is that specific question I can sit down and maybe you got to brainstorm it, right? And sit down and write out all the questions and say, who in my life could potentially help me with this answer? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's now so easy too. Like in back in the day when I was <laughs> starting my writing career, I happened to be in the right location for a dog walker. I was in Beverly Hills in Hollywood. I'm working at a pet store. I'm sending out flyers all over, you know, to the most beautiful homes in the world. Ultimately, I got a testimonial from Kirk Douglas. I put that at the top of my flyer. So that made getting other clients easier, right? Always trying to, you know, make people feel safe. But nowadays, what you do, if you're not going door to door in Beverly Hills, is you go to people's workshops. All of this is investing in yourself and investing in career. I don't really believe in or know of many instant overnight success stories. For the most part, it's a net, like you were saying, it's about networking. It's about providing value. It's about what can you do to make something a win-win? You need something, but somebody else needs something too. What can you bring to the table that makes it so that you both feast? Oh, I love that. So that you both feast. It's not just one. And it's also this idea of not being afraid of rejection and no, right? So if you would have went to him and he would have said no, or maybe you think, well, he think differently of me or something. How did you get over that? Because I know that keeps a lot of people back from asking the questions and going further. Oh, oh gosh. I have some really, really funny stories about that in beautiful writers because I fell on my face so many times. There were so many times I was grandiose and over the top and ill-prepared and so embarrassing. I mean, I just like, I won't give them away here because they're really in the context of the story, but they're, they're ridiculous. So I think I wasn't afraid to be ridiculous. I just had that grandiosity, that foolishness of youth. And I really was on fire for my mission. So my mission wasn't just to be a writer. My mission was to change publishing and to help change the way people source paper. So I'm a tree hugger. I'm a girl who grew up with forests and I've never actually talked about this anywhere, but whose family, part of my family was killed by a logging truck. So my grandfather and my father's little five-year-old sister were killed um, in an accident where a logging truck wiped into them on a rainy day. And I have always been obsessed with saving trees. It's like my biggest passion and life goal. And so I was so motivated to make stories that were good enough and entertaining enough and to connect with authors who could really move the needle environmentally that it was like, okay, so I'm going to look like an idiot. Who the hell cares? If I do something over the top, if I send a funny letter to a celebrity with a big bag of cookies and and say something outrageous They're not going to hate me. They don't even know me. Who cares if I lose the interview? I don't have it anyway, but maybe I'm going to make them laugh and maybe they're going to call me up and go, you know what? That was the funniest thing anybody's ever done, which they have. They've called me and said that. And then I get the deal. I get the interview. I get the deal. So I'm just not afraid to be outrageous. And it speaks to tying your purpose and why into something bigger than yourself. I I think I did read this um, recently in the book, your book, Beautiful Writers, that when it's such a big mission, when you make it bigger than yourself, then the failures don't matter because you're like, 
God, the universe is conspiring in your favor anyway. So you're just like, you know what? That was a lesson. That was a reason. That's a stepping stone to something else. And like, I truly believe whether, you know, it's true or delusional in a way, it just helps your motivation. It helps the momentum, helps you keep going. Yeah. I don't care if it's delusional. I, I love magical thinking. I mean, I'm a super practical person. I pay my bills. I don't lie. I'm loving. I'm dependable. I've been on a long path. Like there, there's no overnight success in my journey. It's a long slog. So because of all that, I'm okay with magical thinking. I'm okay thinking that what I do matters and that it's going to make a difference and that I was born for a destiny. And I'm also okay letting myself off the hook. If I can't wake up for that destiny because I'm worried about a litter of puppies we're raising or I really, my husband needs me and I want to take a week off and be with him or my kid is coming off the the deep end and he, he needs support. I'm okay slowing down my path. Always, always. I'm there for my people. I'm there for my animals, but in the, I trust in the long run. I trust that all of this dreaming and planning and lack of sleep and, and high octane energy, all these years, all the discipline I've had to get here. I trust that all of it was for a divine purpose. Just, I don't even question it. So if I don't make my goals, oh, well, I never, ever like dog myself, but I try, I try. Mm. And you talked just now about you're in it for the long haul, like the marathon. What advice would you give to like, let's say someone is having a moment or they have, they're having something that's successful happening, right? It's that they could capitalize on, but it's, they don't you don't want it to just be like for a moment or a sprint. Like you want this to help in long-term ways, right? So whether that's you get a, a book deal or you get featured on a show or you get that compliment from the boss in the meeting, right? Like what are some ways people can keep those moments, like have them feed into the bigger moments, right? And compound. Yeah. It's all about the fundamentals, man. It's all about the fundamentals. Like what makes you feel good every day so that you're going to keep getting up and you're going to keep doing it. You're going to keep doing the work. You're going to keep showing up. So I've had a lot of highs in my career and I don't, I don't dwell on them long. I celebrate them briefly. I categorize them. They're on Instagram. They're in my stories. I won't forget them, but, but I still got to wake up the next day and keep doing the work. Right. So I just focus on, all right, What's today? I think, you know, my sister was telling me one time, my sister's a Vedic astrologer, and she said, there are people, people's charts either have movable planets or stationary planets. And I don't know anything about this, but I will say most of my planets are stationary. I think she said they're not moving around. So my ex-husband changes whoever he's with. Like he's like, when in Rome, do what the Romans do. I'm not like that. I'm like, when in Rome, do what Linda does. Like, I always kind of do the same thing wherever I am. So I think you have to know who you are. And if you're a when in Rome, you know, do what the Romans are person. Wow. You got to really figure out what your North Star is. And it, and when you're in Rome, don't get off track. Like really wrangle yourself in and try to make sure that if your nature is sending you haphazardly all over the place, get back to the fundamentals, get back to your footwork. It's like, I used to know a football player who was losing his edge and an older football player said to him, get back to your footwork. You've forgotten how to throw the ball so that it's dependable. Like, do the things that make your life solid. 
And then you can dream on the page or you can dream in, you know, whatever field it is you have, but you got to be solid. Speaking of like just mentioned a football player um, or we've mentioned some names in the book or names on the podcast of famous people or well-known or established people in whatever field. And so I feel like, especially from listening to your podcast, that like, I'm always just like amazed at sometimes your guest. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I feel like, you know, every major writer that <laughs> whether they're on the New York Times list or just their books have been turned into movies. I'm just like, you seem to just be really good at people or with people. And so I think it's a skill that a lot of us can use or work on. So what are some tips or advice you'd give to being more of a social person to be able to have these relationships? That's a great question because I'm very friendly, but I am really introverted. So as a kid, I didn't like joining groups. When we were in college, I didn't party hardly ever. Like my best friend would go to the bars and then come home and tell me about it. I would cheerlead at the football game, but then I would go home and watch the love boat with my parents. And my boyfriend would come over to my house to say hi on his way home from the party. Like, so I'm not a party girl and I'm a one-on-one person more than anything. You know, what really helped me was the dog walking business because I was getting a crash course in hobnobbing with really successful people, like on a world stage. And I was seeing, I was learning a lot about success and what it really entails. And I saw how insecure these world famous people were. I saw how plagued they were. I saw their addictions. I saw, it was like, whoa, those people are no more magical than anyone else, except for the fact that they just keep going. They keep showing up and they bolster themselves up and like, ta-da. And so I think that was really, really good for me to see. I also got a crash course in dealing with difficult people. I, I saw how to deal with divas. When I was a ghostwriter, holy crap, I wrote for a couple of divas, male and female, and it was really, really challenging. And I learned, you know, I used to work at Nordstrom in college and I learned that the customer is always right. So people can't upset me. I don't get angry. I don't even think I lose sleep over it. Like I just, and my ex-husband was a, whoo, he was intense. And I just learned early on, like anybody's mood is not because of me. That's their own deal. The complaints they may be screaming at me or the, the tantrum they're throwing or the insane deadlines that they're trying to push on me. None of that is my problem. That is their deal. And if I hold to me and I take care of me and I communicate lovingly what I need, I've almost walked off ghostwriting jobs many times where I've said, nope, not doing it. Or where a huge celebrity has his assistant call me and say, uh, we want to give Linda this big job and I know it's going to save my house. And then I say, what are the hours? And they say, anytime he can call you at three in the morning, four in the morning, I go, nope. And they're like, what do you mean? Nope sorry, not working for him. And I hang up. I just know that I'm going to be okay. So even when I'm needy, and you know what I found? Every single time I've needed money, every time, and it's been so many times, if I don't take the one job that's being handed to me and I hold off because what they're asking for is some form of abuse, I always get something better the next day. I always do. So I'm not saying everybody quit your job and you're for sure going to get one tomorrow, but man, whew, 
it if you're if you're in an abusive situation a lot of times holding holding to your guns and saying no brings something better speaking of money how has your relationship with money changed over the years since starting i'm assuming you're more financially secure than when you were starting out but then just having more money now that you have more assuming that you do has that changed your perception or has it alleviated any fears you might have had before? What is it like now as you evolved into someone who has more success? What does that feel like now? And then how has your relationship with money changed over that time frame? When I was broke, broke, when my ex-husband and I were living in a little shack that was illegally zoned, which was fine with us, we were renting because we had six, five, four dogs and two cats, and we needed an illegal place. So the landlord wouldn't turn us in. From those days to now, what I did was constantly learn about money. So I knew I had to change my mindset. I knew that I was raised with a lot of abundance thinking and a lot of poverty, poverty consciousness at the same time. My parents lived beyond their means. We had a beautiful life. We went to the ballet. We went to the opera. We had long brunches, live music in the house. It was a gorgeous childhood. And when my mother died, they were in a lot of debt and she was very, very upset about it. And her life insurance had to pay off that debt. When my dad died, the market had just crashed. He was on margin. His millions of dollars was lost. So I'm from a family, I guess you could say of dreamer gamblers. And there was a lot of devastation there on all fronts. So I was raised seeing both the beauty of abundance thinking and the danger of not reining it in. And I have all those tendencies myself. I love nice things. I love to give. I'm super giving. I give a lot of money even when I don't have it. So I've had to be very, very careful. And I think Learning about money all along helped. When I was a magazine editor, I would interview financial people. I interviewed Susie Orman and she taught me about putting my dollars all nicely in my wallet in order and not being haphazard with things. I invested in an IRA when I was young. I had a college thing set up for my son when, when I was young. So I set things up early knowing that I wasn't very good with money and I had to have some structure or I was going to be super screwed like my parents were. And over time, that's helped. I mean, my IRA has just grown and grown and grown like, wow, you know, I put in the maximum I'm supposed to every year. And some, some years, I barely get it in. You know, it's due October 15th, this year, October 17th. But some years, I get it in on the 14th, like the day before. But I get it in. And I always get it in. So it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And I work hard for that. My new husband, he's financially brilliant. And so I no longer have to pay a mortgage, which is so nice, you know, for years and years. Wow, that was so hard to do everything, put the kid through college. I was a single mom and pay the mortgage and, and, and now he owns our house outright. So I don't, but I help, you know, I'll pay for the gardener. I'll pay for the maid when we have her, uh, you know, I pay for, I do, I do a lot of stuff, but I don't have the same financial pressure I had when I was single. I don't know that many people talk about this. It really matters what your partner does. You know, my partner is very smart financially. He doesn't waste money. He's very, very smart. He has the money not to 
price out things, but he's still careful. He's taught me a lot about being careful, more careful. (laughs) I don't know that I'll ever be financially careful, but I never even used to look at price tags and weigh things out. And I'm a lot smarter now because of him. So I think to answer your question in a short way, the best thing I ever did was just keep learning about money. And even your podcast, you know, I've been listening to your podcast a lot. I learned so much from your guests. I learned so much from you. Yeah, it's mind blowing. I feel like we can never stop learning about money. Never, never can, right? And it's not about just, you know, earning money is one thing, but how do you translate and turn that money into wealth or options for yourself where it's fleeting, right? It's providing a sense of security. And I love the comment about the spouse or the partner or whoever you're coupling yourself with. That is very important. It's one of the biggest financial decisions you'll make. And so, yeah, thanks for being just real about that and bringing it up because, you know, some of the things I've been able to do, it's because, you know, and I know not everyone has this, but I have a partner who is financially sound. And when I quit my job, right, like we could, I could be on his insurance. And so like things like that matter. And it's good to be transparent about because while maybe you're, you don't have that, maybe you haven't met your person. Maybe you don't want to meet a person like that. You want to be that for yourself hopefully maybe shine a light on if you're not in a situation that's financially beneficial for you or at least healthy, that you start making plans to put yourself in a better position. Well, I was intentional about dating Larry because before him, I had been with real dreamers, financial dreamers who they overspent, we overborrowed. There was just not a lot of like real financial fiscal responsibility. And so when I made my list of what is the type of person I want to draw in, I thought I want a man who makes more money than me because my experience had been when I made more money than the men I dated, they ultimately were attracted to that at first. That was really kind of cool. Wow, she's not going to bleed me dry. But then I found that at least in a couple of instances that I can think of, there was some real resentment. It was hard on them. I think our our culture is so hard on men to think that they have to be the breadwinners. They have to make more than their women that these two men I'm thinking of, they felt guilty about it and they resented that they made less than me. And I thought, gosh, I can't, I can't win. I, I have to make this money to save my kid and me from this horrible disaster of 2008 and the divorce, which was so expensive. And I'm working so hard and now I'm being penalized for it. Now I'm like in trouble because I make too much money. And not that I had a ton of money, mind you, I had so much debt. I was just making money to, you know, kind of catch up to zero and I was being penalized for it. And I thought, no, no more. I said, for whatever my karma is with men, I have trouble in this area. So I need to find somebody who makes more money than me. And I, and so when Larry and I went on our first date, he said, what are you looking for? And I said, you know, I want a best friend as did he. And I said, I want what my parents had, which was like true love, like giddy. My dad would get giddy talking about my mom. My mom would get giddy talking about my dad. They were married almost 40 years. They were in love. All their problems, notwithstanding, they were in love. I said, that's what I want. He said, me too. And I said, and, and this is like first or second date. And I'm looking at his beautiful home. We're in the backyard in the, in a hammock, just talking second date, I think. And I said, and I never want to pay another mortgage. He goes, really? And I said, yep. I said, if we get a second home, me and whoever, 
I'll, maybe I'll help with that one, but I ain't paying the, the mortgage. And I said that as a line in the sand because I knew I overgive. I knew I overdo. I will always do the bulk of the chores in any house I'm in because I can't, I can't not do it. I will always be cleaning the floors. I will always be doing every dish. I will make every freaking meal. Don't make me pay for the mortgage. And boy, he heard it and I haven't. <laughs> Wow. Talk about asking for what you want and being real with what you want. You know, like forget what sounds good. Forget what society is telling. Because, you know, it's kind of like, I'm not going to say what I really want because, you know, that's not PC or it's not like what, you know, the person wants to hear, but maybe like we'll work to that. And it's just like, wow. And not every person, you know, has to want what you wanted, right? You can want something totally different, but it's it's so important to be specific and clear. You may just actually get what you want. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I'm not playing this game anymore. I'm not going to be all things to all people, do everything and then be hated for it. Sorry. (laughs) This is how I want you to step up. You're going to pay the mortgage. Linda, I can't believe we're like, this conversation was amazing. And I really believe this is going to help a lot of people. Please tell everyone where they can find more about you, the book, the podcast, everything. Thank you so much. Bookmama.com, B-O-O-K-M-A-M-A has all the links, the beautiful writers podcast is the link is there beautiful writers all the links for buying the book are there all my programs are there thanks so much again linda ah so fun thank you love oh don't forget we are giving away a copy of this week's guest book so if you want your chance to win go to journey to launch dot com slash win for more details and make sure you're following me at journey to launch on instagram twitter and facebook don't forget you can get the episode show notes for this episode by going to journey to launch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this and you can still grab your jumpstart guide for free to help you on your journey to financial freedom by going to journey to launch.com slash jumpstart If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me and the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here. So show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journey to Launch.